Our scripture reading tonight is from John 21. We'll be reading verses 15 through 19. John 21, 15 through 19. And before we read that together, I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Gracious God, make us hungry for your word, that it may nourish us in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. So John 21, 15 to 19. Jesus had visited his disciples for the miraculous catch of fish and then afterward has a conversation with Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you wherever you do not, where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. I wouldn't call myself a huge baseball fan. I did play a little bit of Little League, and I enjoyed that. I've been to see the Whitecaps play. I even attended one of the playoff games in 1984 when the Detroit Tigers won the World Series. But I had never heard before the name Fred Carlisle Snodgrass until I ran across it recently. Yes, Fred Carlisle Snodgrass, that's a real name, and a real man. In fact, he was a pretty famous baseball player at the turn of the 20th century. Well, when Fred died in 1974, his obituary in the New York Times acknowledged his major league career, along with a few other life accomplishments. But here's the very strange thing about that obituary. It focused primarily on Fred's biggest baseball failure. Here's how it reads. Ventura, California, April 5, 1974. Fred Carlisle Snodgrass, who muffed an easy fly that helped to cause the New York Giants, cost the New York Giants the 1912 World Series, died today at the age of 86. 
Mr. Snodgrass played nine years in Major League Baseball with the Giants and the Boston Braves before moving to California where he became the mayor of Oxnard, a banker and a rancher. Mr. Snodgrass made a two-base muff of a pinch hitter, Clyde Engel's easy pop fly to set up the tying run. One man walked and another singled, driving in Mr. Engel to tie the game and put the winning run on third. A long outfield fly scored the winning run. He is survived by his widow, Josephine, two daughters, and five grandchildren. I came across the story as I was reading and thinking hard about how tough it is to be marked by failure. That obituary was written 62 years after Mr. Snodgrass flubbed that fly ball. And it's, it's, a, it's like little else mattered in his life. I hope that Mr. Snodgrass got over his failure quicker than the press seemed to. But here's the truth. Sometimes we ourselves are the ones who have the hardest time getting over our failures. Sometimes we spend a lifetime squashed down by them and by our shame over them. Or perhaps we try to make up for them by being perfect or successful or doing whatever it takes to prove our worth. Our failures and our inadequacies sometimes even convince us that that's how God sees us too. You know, it's always easy to look at someone else and imagine that they are so much better equipped, so much more together and obviously gifted to be accepted and used by God than I am. Maybe you are someone so aware of your own shortcomings, of your own failures, of your own secret struggles, that it's nearly impossible to imagine that you are just right, just right for service in God's kingdom. If that's you, there's good news for you tonight. Let me introduce you to Peter. You know, it's interesting that as the gospel writers tell their stories, it's Peter's personality that really seems to emerge other than the other disciples. Peter helps us remember that Jesus' disciples were real people living real lives with real problems and had real quirks just like us, just like us. There were times when Peter's commitment to Jesus was as steadfast and courageous as they come. It had him stepping out of the boat in the midst of a stormy sea. It had him cutting off the ear of an enemy in the Garden of Gethsemane and boldly claiming an unwavering, undying commitment to Jesus. 
If you're on the path of faith, you've had those moments too. Beautiful, profound moments when you're filled to overflowing with faith. Maybe it happened in that dorm room Bible study or during your early morning prayer time. Your love for Jesus, your awe at what he's done for you burns bright. I don't care what others do. I will follow Jesus no matter the cost. I'll lay down my life. I won't go back to those old sins. I'll give up my selfishness. I'll be more loving. I'll be more sacrificial. I am fully devoted to you. But then there are those other times. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter did precisely that. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. I swear, I do not know him. I've often thought about how hard it must have been for Peter to look into Jesus' eyes again. I imagine my own sense of, of failure and shame would make it excruciating to face again the one I'd so vehemently denied. But that's where the good news of our text comes in. And it also answers our concern about to whom God entrusts God's mission in the world. Who does God use to build the church and carry out God's mission? Well, God uses those who fail. I know that just sounds wrong. It's illogical and clearly countercultural, but it is also undeniably biblically true. God uses those who fail. I had a student in one of my mentoring groups at Calvin Seminary who told us his story of failure. This middle-aged man had two master's degree and a PhD in the area of IT and business. He and two friends started a small computer company together that promised huge financial gain. But it wasn't very long into that exploding success of the business that his partners managed to push him out of the company, leaving him jobless, but also without anything to show for his blood, sweat, and tears. In addition, being from a culture that highly values honor and saving face, he simply spiraled down into a dark pit of shame, despair, and hopelessness. That is, until in a worship service his wife urged him to attend, Jesus 
gently called his name. In hearing the love and grace of God preached that morning, he heard Jesus addressing him. The failure of his past, he realized, could not keep God from finding him, claiming him, and using him. That's exactly what the Bible says over and over again. Peter's not the only one. There's Moses, who murdered a man. Noah, who got drunk and exposed himself. Jonah, who ran from God. Abraham, who lied twice about his wife being his sister. Not to mention David's major moral failures. And there are many more. God loves and uses those who fail. Secondly, to carry out God's purposes in this world, God uses the forgiven. I believe the most gracious note sounded in this story is Jesus' three questions to Peter. For it matches and even in a sense erases Peter's three denials. Three times, Jesus gives Peter the opportunity to say the love, to speak it, to proclaim it, the love that was in his heart for Jesus. How gracious and kind. Notice Jesus says nothing of the denial. He speaks not one word of rebuke or reprimand. He doesn't ask for an apology or try to shame Peter. Now, Jesus gives Peter the gift of grace, of a clean slate, of starting over, of trying again, the gift of a new day. Jesus restores Peter and freely forgives him. I hope you know that there is forgiveness for your deepest failures. There is forgiveness for the times you did not follow through with your convictions. There is forgiveness for the times you were afraid and denied your Lord. There is forgiveness for every sin, every shortcoming, every failure. There is forgiveness for you. And like Peter, there is also the gracious invitation to engage in God's worldwide mission. Do you love me? Jesus asks the forgiven. Then feed my sheep. The excellent commentator Dale Bruner proposes that the best way to translate Jesus' repeated uh, proposal or instruction to Peter is like this. Take really good care of the ones I bring you. Do you love me, Jesus asks you, the forgiven? 
then take really good care of the ones I will bring you. That caring takes shape here at La Grave in a multitude of ways. I've seen God's grace awakened in you. I've seen it move you to serve, to pray, to knit, to lead, to teach, to give generously, to volunteer, to reach out to the stranger, the lonely, the suffering. Like a fresh spring shower, God's forgiving love has washed over you and it has moved you to engage in the only mission worth giving your life for. Who does God use for God's life-renewing mission in this world? God uses those who fail and who are forgiven. And while I don't often use alliterative points in my sermons, I do tonight, because God also uses those who follow, who follow Jesus wherever Jesus leads. There's an article written by a journalist for the Winnipeg Free Press who's been impacted by observing the ways Christians serve our world. He tells of the former CBC senior correspondent, Brian Stewart, who during his travels in some of the world's poorest and most conflicted countries discovered that it is virtually impossible to go any place where Christians aren't busy helping people in need. The article quotes Stewart, who says, I have found there is no movement or force closer to the raw truth of war, famines, crisis, and the vast human predicament than organized Christianity in action. And there is no alliance more determined and dogged in action than church workers, ordained and lay members, when mobilized for a common good. He writes, I've never reached a war zone or a famine group or crisis anywhere where some church organization was not there long before me. Sturdy, remarkable souls, usually too kind to ask, what took you so long? Do you love me? Jesus asks you. And as his sometimes failing, but always forgiven disciple, you must answer. And then wherever your mission field, in your own particular setting, your home, your school, your neighborhood, your workplace, your church, Take really good care of the people God brings you. Remembering this, that the crucified, risen Jesus will lead you and be with you 
and equip you as you keep engaging God's life-renewing mission. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Good shepherd, with forgiveness full and free, with an unshakable love, you invite us to your table of grace. We come not because we are deserving, but because of your great mercy. Lord, feed us and nourish us in the way of everlasting life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.